chemistry is, well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Huh? Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, this solution just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, it's a little sad to say, we are doing, we are covering Breaking Bad and back to join us for this, uh, for the final time is Ricky G. It's a little sad because this means the show's over. Ricky, welcome back to the show. Hey, Kate. Yeah, I'm actually really, really sad the show's over. It's honestly my favorite show of all time. I haven't finished The Wire. I know a lot of people say The Wire is better than Breaking Bad. But uh, I like it a lot better than Sopranos. Like I was, I was online, and a lot of my friends on Facebook were like, three best shows ever made: The Wire, Sopranos, and Breaking Bad in third place." And I actually would put Breaking Bad over to Sopranos. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna miss this. Yeah, I'm gonna miss Breaking Bad a lot because you know why, Simon? Season two of The Sopranos is probably, probably the best season of the series. But it went on a downhill, like around the end of season four, and the ending was nowhere near as great as the ending of Breaking Bad, in my opinion. Ooh, them's fighting words. Mm-hmm. Them's definitely fighting words. Before we get into the finale, before we get into season five and the series as a whole, sort of looking back on everything we've experienced with Breaking Bad, we started this this half season out with some predictions. <laughs> and I have them here, and they're just delightful. So, Kate, did I win? I have to I have to add it up. I will do the math, and I will post the name of the winner in the post, because I haven't actually done it yet. But... We were wrong about a lot of stuff. Now, you, uh, Ricky, you were correct about almost all the live and dies. You wait, said, wait. I was correct about everything. No, you weren't. You said Hank was going to live and Jesse was going to die. What? You also said I, Todd was going to live. I did not. Yes, you did. <laughs> right, right here. Now, Simon and I, Simon, you said Skylar was going to die. Uh, we both thought Hank was going to live. Uh, and uh, the, and otherwise, we were correct about on lives and dies. Uh, even some of the the episodes, we were we were correct about that. Um, then we get to our counts, and as a memory jog, we we said predict the number of explosions, the number of shootouts, the number of times Walt Junior has breakfast, the number of car crashes, the number of times science saves the day, number of meth cooks, and number of montages. We said. We said predict will Hank go to the cops, go to the, the DEA or not, and predict the final shot. Do we count uh, Walt using an instructional manual in the finale as science? No. Damn it. Well, and also, you can't count two of the shootouts as shootouts because they aren't shootouts. It's just a massacre. Like, in the final episode, it isn't a shootout. Like, a shootout is when there's two groups of people shooting back and forth. And also, when Jack's army massacres the previous cooks in the meth lab 
You know what I mean? Like the previous yeah. drug don't actually see it. That's not a shootout either. And also it's off screen, but that's a massacre. So that should not be counted as a shootout. That leaves us with uh, how many? There were zero explosions, correct? Am I forgetting one? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. There, so then by Ricky's definition, there was one shootout. <laughs> there were zero Walt Jr. breakfasts. There were no car crashes, correct? I guess uh, Jesse I busts through the gate, but that's not a crash. Science did not save the day at all. There were two meth cooks. Um, Matt got that one right. So right on the money. Ding, ding, ding. One and a half montages, depending on if you count the barrel rolling in the desert as a montage. Um, Ricky, you predicted one montage. You're closest on that. Matt predicted two. I predicted nine. <laughs> Too many. We're we're so used to having montages in series finales. I think is the thing. Yeah, I I, I thought the second half of the season was going to go so different. I thought three breakfasts, three shootouts, three explode. I thought it was going to be a lot more violent and action oriented. Instead, it was very character driven. The last thing I want to talk about. Um, pretty much everybody predicted the uh, the Hank thing if they got whether or not he lived or died correct. But the final shots. Simon and I were thinking something with the desert. I was predicting it to end during the day, not at night. Let's see. You said the it would be a reference to Heisenberg, Ricky, not Waltz. Uh, which, it, which it technically was. Because cause Walt dies in the lab, surrounded by what made him feel alive, which is when he transformed into the character of Heisenberg, giving sort of like walking away from his previous life as Walt, the science teacher. So technically I'm right. I would disagree on that reading, that interpretation. I think he's I think he's very much Walt at the end there. I think he's merged Heisenberg and Walt. He's come to terms with Heisenberg as part of himself in that finale. But he's surrounded by the lab, yeah. which is a representation of him, the drug lord. Of him, the person. I don't think there's a schism between Heisenberg and Walt anymore at Ooh. the end. Well, no, the you... thing is, is when... The cops raid the lab and they find him dead on the floor. They find the drug lord Heisenberg dead on the floor. They don't see him as Walt. Like, it, like, I okay, whatever. I'll just say I lost. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you you like, lost way less than I did. Yeah, I just didn't <laughs> I think really it would lost. end say with like Skyler and Walt, you know, facing off or uh, an image of like the White House. It had to be something more related to the drug business yeah well you, obviously in our descriptions here you were the most correct we had a, a a mirror of the godfather ending was a prediction while sitting in jail looking out through the bars was a prediction the the white house was a prediction so we, there were a lot of really fun predictions for for how the season was going to play out and i think this is part of why i enjoy doing these these prediction things for the last seasons of shows i really care about because it's so it gives you such an interesting picture of what you thought it was going to be because i'm sure we didn't necessarily remember at this point like ricky you were saying i didn't think that uh at the how we felt at the beginning of the season and it's right on a piece of paper in front of me and it's really interesting shall we start with you know let's start with that how how did this season fit into everybody's expectations and hopes for the series and and the way it would go out and I mean this half well, season. Well, for, for my part, I think at the very least, 5B, which is, I'm going to call them 5A and 5B because it's simpler. I think 5B was a way stronger set of episodes than 5A. Uh, I think 5A had Dead Freight, which was great. 
but other than that, I think it was probably the weakest set of episodes since maybe the first season, which I do need to rewatch in case I'm being too harsh on it. But uh, 5B, I think, is probably my second favorite as a season behind season three. Uh, again, I would need to rewatch the whole series to to make that clear. As for the finale itself, I think that it's a very good finale. I don't think it's up there with the greats in terms of like the best finales ever. It, by the way, in those great finales, I would include The Sopranos. But uh, I think it was very it was a very good finale. I can't imagine anyone watching it and not being at least satisfied with it. Was it? But I uh, I don't know. I I'm a little bit disappointed with it just for just for the way everything goes so smoothly. It's it, and and I know that that some people have really you know I, I'm sure Ricky you'll be among them. I know that for a lot of people that was more satisfying. You know, they didn't need that last little bit of chaos, but I would have I would have appreciated a little bit of chaos for that vintage breaking bad feel. But I'm overall but I'm not complaining too much. I, I think that they had to stick the landing and they did, and for that and, and the series is, is stronger for that, uh instead of and I, I suppose a gambit could have gone the wrong way, so I should just be happy with what we've got. And I am. Uh so yeah. I think um I'm very much looking forward to a series rewatch at some point in a couple of years. Yeah, I I think it's solid. Uh, I don't think it's great, but I think it's good. And uh, I am one of those people not wholly satisfied with this finale. So we should we'll have fun talking about that. But first, Ricky, I want to hear your thoughts on this half season as a whole, but also the finale. Season five B, I think, is way better than season five A. I think you're totally right, Simon. I mean, apart from the train heist, which was epic, and I think one of our favorite episodes of the entire series, right? Um, I think that 5A was a little disappointing. I don't think it was as good as season four or season three. I really, really, really loved the second half of season five or season 5B, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm totally going to disagree with both of you about the final episode. I think it was brilliant. In terms of the way it was directed, uh, Vince Gilligan, man, he is a master of direction. I loved the way this whole entire episode was shot. I'm talking about from a visual standpoint, the symbolisms, the uh, visual motifs, the color coding, uh, maybe not necessarily the narrative and how it all unfolds, but like there's two incredible highlights in the final episode. The first is very simple, but it's brilliant. And I think that one scene outdoes anything in the, final episode of the Sopranos. And I do love the Sopranos finale and the Sopranos. I think it's my third favorite show of all time, but the scene in which Skylar gets the phone call from Marie and just the performance on Anna Gunn's face, you know, Walter is in the room. You can't see him, but you know, and the way she delivers that performance and the way it's directed and the way the camera's specifically positioned right behind the beam so you can't actually see Walter until she hangs up the phone and the camera dollies backwards. And then Walt and Skylar have their very last conversation. And then what does Walt do? He finally admits to him, to Skylar, and to us, the viewers, that he did it for himself. That one scene was epic. That's master that's, – that, that shows that Vince Gilligan is a master of direction – the performances are just outstanding, like blew me away. And that one line, that one line, I did it for me. I mean, it was incredible. 
like something so simple that they can take this scene. It's so simple and they can make it so incredible and amazing. And there's little touches throughout the final episode that I thought was, was just brilliant. Like when they show that simple, quick flashback of Jesse, when it's Jesse, the carpenter, right? I mean, that nice visual touch was just so for me, seriously, it was so welcome. Uh, I needed it because we had seen Jesse go through the ringer. Like he's been tortured. You know, he watched Andrea die. He's, he's been a meth slave and we know we're not going to get a scene of Jesse in the final episode where he's going to be that happy. He's, he might not ever be that happy again. So it was nice that Vince Gilligan included that one small scene. The whole entire episode to me was brilliant. And I understand that people aren't necessarily satisfied because everything wraps up beautifully in a way. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it wasn't like it wrapped up in a cheesy kind of way or in a way that felt unplausible or I don't know. It, it, it felt like if you had been watching season 5B, it was all leading to this final episode and everything connected. All the pieces in the puzzle came together and the puzzle was complete. And so to me, the whole entire season fell on this one last episode. And if this one last episode wasn't as good, the whole entire season would have been a waste. And that's why I think the final episode is so, so good because it saves the entire season, I think. Well, I actually, very well put, but I completely disagree, actually, because even if this final episode had been terrible, that for me would not have tarnished the awesome power of of Tajali and Ozymandias, more specifically. That that would not have undone, that, Ozymandias feels like the real finale to me, and this feels like the denouement, and the reason that this is not a particularly emotionally satisfying finale for me while I, it is good and at as I was watching it I was entertained and I thought it, I, I appreciated it as soon as I started thinking about it I was increasingly troubled because whereas the rest of this half season which I agree has been so much better than season 5a just for like the lack of character bizarreness like we had with Mike last half season there wasn't any of that this season for the most part so this half season was I agree with both of you much stronger, but this whole half season has been telling us that Walt is wrong and Walt is a horrible person and Walt is finally reaping the uh, rewards of his terrible activities for the past five seasons. And then in the finale, he is all but validated. And that is really troubling to me. That scene with Skylar, I agree, is fantastic as a scene just by itself it's amazing but why does walt all of a sudden have a moment of clarity why when did he come to this realization that he was doing it for himself because we never saw that happen that felt like it needed to happen because vince gilligan needed to tell the audience hey those of you who are still arguing that walt was doing this for his family you're wrong um, I disagree. I don't think Vince Gilligan wrote it because of safe feedback or what people are saying online, because you got to remember that these episodes were shot, put in the can and even written way before they were shot, like yeah. o- over a year ago. Yes. Right? But, th- I don't, I, but there are still people who Vince Gilligan has talked about how for him, it became clear that Walt was a bad guy and was doing mm-hmm. this all for himself. at season two and people at season four you know, for season 5A, people are still arguing that he's doing this for his family. I don't know that while it was a beautiful scene, well-acted, well-written, 
gorgeously shot. I don't know that I, it just feels convenient that uh, Walt all of a sudden has this epiphany when he's never been that self-aware. I, I, see, I, I'm going to disagree with you for uh, two reasons. Uh, first of all, I just want to quickly say that you and I have gone back and forth and argued about Walt and why he does what he does. Yeah. And in that argument, all I'm trying to state or what I was trying to state in the past was I really do honestly believe that Walt really does care about his family. But I do agree that Walt was first and foremost doing it for himself, as he stated in the final episode. He did it because he felt alive and because he wanted to do it. But I still think he really, really, truly deep down inside cares about his family. He could do both. He can be conflicted because the guy is fucking crazy. But um, I think the last episode, the penultimate episode called Granite States, I think in that episode, it doesn't start with Walt hitting rock bottom. But I think by the end of the episode, Walt hits rock bottom. And you got to remember that he was uh, secluded by himself in a cabin in the middle of nowhere on top of a mountain for how many days, like 60 days, 30 days. It was at least a month or two. And I think that time that he had to be there by himself and the way that episode ended when he went to the bar and he tried to call Walt and Walt Jr. actually told him that he wanted him to die, his son. I think that episode was enough for us, the viewers, to understand that Walt did have this sort of realization. Maybe we didn't see it on screen, but we didn't need to see it on screen. And I think we technically did see it on screen because we saw it, we saw it in his confession to Skyler, his confession to himself, and him admitting to everyone, the whole entire world, that it was his fault. Except that, and Simon, I'm going to actually want you to weigh in here eventually, <laughs> as fun as it is to, to spar with Ricky on this, um, except that... In his actions in Granite State at the very end of the episode, I would say that I believe the performance from Cranston watching Gretchen and Elliot on TV is one of anger and of Heisenberg, not of, oh, I can get them to give my family all of my millions of dollars that they've told me they don't want, but I'm going to take away their agency and force them to have it anyways. And and his actions there don't feel like someone who is aware of all the damage he has caused and that this is his fault and he did it for himself. His The fact that even that he called Flynn tells me that he had not come to that realization at that point before, you know, during his time in isolation. And if they wanted us to think he had, then they needed to show us more of him in isolation. And then also, when he's terrorizing, terrorizing Gretchen and Elliot, because it's fun, because that's clearly, he's clearly enjoying having power over them and having one more sort of fuck you to the two of them, deal, like in, in encouraging his his anger and his his pride and all of these worst elements of himself, he does not feel like a man who has come to terms with the fact that this was a selfish act and he was wrong. But I think he has. I mean, he's come to terms that he likes to do it and he's selfish, but that doesn't mean he's going to stop doing it. He just came to accept who he is. Okay. It doesn't mean he's going to change his actions. He but just finally accepts that that is who he is that is who he wants to be but a scene later he you know with skylar he's apologizing basically it's his way of apologizing and saying he was wrong and doing everything he can to mend fences so that right. those two are in direct contrast to each other they are not because he has a complete <laughs> different relationship with Skylar as opposed to Gretchen and Elliot. It's not about the relationship. It's about who he is. Oh, no, Kate, because you, you act and react differently around different people, especially if you care and or don't care about them. So he's not going to give them the same kind of satisfaction and the same kind of reaction 
has he went to Skyler? He does care about Skyler. He's admitting to Skyler that he did it because he wanted to do it, but he is at the same time apologizing. And I think I think that scene was somewhat heartbreaking because he he gets his chance to see Holly. Not that it really matters because she'll never remember him, but he does see the baby. But then we get the scene afterwards in which Walt sees Walt Jr., Flynn, walking in, and he can't actually reach out to his son and say goodbye. And I thought that was kind of heartbreaking. I think the problem a lot of, a lot of people are having with the, the final episode is a lot of people don't think that Walt deserves redemption. And they don't understand why people root for Walt. But I do. I don't think there's anything wrong with rooting for Walt. I think it's just human of us to want him to sort of somehow maybe become a better person and or watch him succeed and get out of these tricky situations. Uh, it's sort of like a challenge for us, the viewers, but it's also a challenge for the writers. And so it's okay for us to get pleasure out of watching Walt succeed from time to time. I don't think that I should feel guilty for rooting for Walt. And a lot of people are saying, oh, it it doesn't make any sense or it's not fair. Walt doesn't deserve redemption, blah, 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 blah. And I totally disagree. Oh, my God. I disagree with you so strongly. And I want to keep going back and forth to go rebut everything you just said. But I feel like we got to tag Simon in here. Well, it's it's um, it's hilarious to me because listening to you guys talk, you guys are, are going back and forth. And what we're actually discussing is like a really probably the key issue of like the antihero drama. You know, what are the limits of, you know, what sh- what are the limits or what should be the limits of viewer empathy? And, and going back to the Sopranos finale and, you know, David Chase and his um, his feelings on, you know, the viewer relationship were his you know clearly his approach was very different chase had a very take no prisoners uh almost adversarial relationship with viewers and that led to the sopranos finale which i which i do think was completely brilliant uh gilligan has a a much gentler relationship with viewers i think i don't think that that's that's a controversial thing to say i mean he he may take issue with the people who unreservedly root for walt but he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have that same sort of contrarian impulse, uh, even though I, I think there is some. I think it's accurate to say that that incredible Walt Schuyler scene was, to some degree, a, a a response to the Walt fans. And and I and I did have. I I will admit that watching that scene, I did have a little bit of a fuck yeah slash fuck you response. <laughs> um, but you know, do I have a? a def- I, I don't feel like I have a definitive response to i mean i i think you're both right in a sense i think that it is only human to some degree to identify and empath and empathize with someone who you've been following for 60 some odd hours of television especially someone you know who's who is dying who has been dying one way or another for the entire time if it's and, Simon, haven't we all been rooting for walt i mean if not no. okay so what what if we weren't rooting for walt and the series ended in season two because walt was taken down and killed and arrested before he did some of the cruel things he did, like watch Jane die and or drug the little boy, Brock. I mean, if you guys, if, if you guys clearly, honestly, weren't rooting for Walt, then you would have wanted it to end way back in season no. two. No, 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 no. I don't need to root for the main character in order to be interested by them, in order to find the story compelling. And I, I'm on the record on the Televerse as... Considering back in season, around season 
parts of season three or four, considering the show difficult to watch and like homework because I knew it was really good, but I actively hated the main character. And so, so I, I still watch it. I still got enjoyment out of it, particularly as certain elements of season three and four really kicked in. But I have not liked Walt since early in the run and I still have liked the show. I don't need you to like the character like if you existed in the same universe as he does. But I, I want to know, did you like the character that they created, not like the person? I mean, because the show is Walt's show. I don't need to root for the main character to be interested in his story. It's very different. Like The Shield, right? Vic Mackey. I don't like Vic Mackey, but he's interesting and fascinating to follow. And I think the, the finale for The Shield and the finale... For, for Breaking Bad, and yes, I still haven't seen the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, but I know everything that happens in it, so I feel like I can mention it. I feel like those are interesting parallels, So because you, you see a very different approach to that anti-hero male in both of those two shows. But 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 don't don't you think that one of the things that makes Breaking Bad so interesting is a conversation we are having right now oh, yeah. about how there's one group of fans who are rooting for Walt or kind of not defend Walt, but, you know, like, like, like myself. And there's the other group of fans like yourself. And we're always like banging heads. And I think (laughs) that's why, I think that's why Vince Gilligan needed to write the pilot the way it was written. uh, Sorry, not the pilot, the finale, the way it was written and ended that way. He couldn't have gone for the Sopranos like approach. And I don't think he would have wanted to, he wouldn't have wanted to copy sort of like David Chase's uh, formula. Did it seriously not bother either of you? I mean, as, as amazing as that sequence was at Gretchen and Elliot's house, it was, I was on the edge of my seat. It was fantastically written, directed, and executed. Did it seriously not bother either of you that he was terrorizing one more group of innocent people and that he was, he was imposing his will upon his family, controlling them in yet another way when they explicitly said they don't want that he is dominating them from afar, from the grave. That didn't bother either of you. No, you know why? Uh, first of all, nobody's innocent. They are not innocent. We've they already are had... innocent. Well, hold on. We've already had backstory about how they supposedly screwed Walt out of this from Walt's point of view dollar business. From Walt's he point of view, but that's, but that's the point of view we are given as an audience. We're not really given much of Gretchen's point of view, right? You don't have to trust the, your, your first person narrator. I don't but, trust but you're, Walt's you're point you're of view. You're asking me if I was bothered by that specific scene, and no, because I don't like those two characters. And the thing was, the thing is, he was terrorizing them, but it was also funny. And I'm not going to lie by saying I wasn't laughing. And I really needed the humor that Vince Gilligan brought to the final episode because the penultimate episode, that second last episode, man, that was a hell of a downer. And I wasn't the biggest fan of that episode. I think it was still a good episode, but like. For example, watching Andrea die, I was like, come on, enough already. Like, did we really need to see Jesse be tortured even more? When that episode ended, I think I called Simon up and I was like, hey, Simon, do you remember the days when Breaking Bad was actually fun? (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, (laughs) what is going on in this episode? I like the fact that we got humor in the final episode, especially in that scene. I love the cameo appearance by Skinny Pete and Badger. And so, no, it didn't bug me. What about you, Simon? Well, first of all, I, I think it's too bad that I called, like, in my brain, I called that it was going to be Skinny Pete and Badger because I saw Matt Jones in the credits. Uh, that there's no way that Badger's, that they find a way to get Badger in this episode unless unless he's one of the uh, trained assassins. He's supposed to <laughs> paid $100,000 to follow them around for the rest of their lives, which, by the way, I love that 
there, Gretchen and Elliot aren't criminals. They're not familiar with the mechanics of criminal enterprise. Just because of the way Walt like explains those terms is just makes no sense. Like, you, really, you 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 paid each of these guys only a hundred grand to follow us forever. Like, <laughs> really? But anyway, um, I mean, I didn't have a problem with the sequence as executed. Uh, I don't think, uh, but I, I, uh, I mean, I think Kate's right about. I don't think that. Um, I don't think we have any re- concrete reason to believe that, Gre- that Gretchen and Elliot are bad people. They're clearly yuppies and annoying, uh, but they're. But I think innocent is a fair descriptor. I mean, I think my I do have an issue overall, as I stated, with everything going Walt's way in the finale and with everything going so perfectly, but not because of any character issues, just because I think it somewhat contradicts the nature of the show and, and what what's made the show so brilliant up until now has just been that sense of chaos, that X factor that, you know, the, these this incredible writing staff that deliberately place themselves in impossible places and then work you know they they mirrored Walt's own process where they 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 have to conjure this uh, crazy handful of nothing and get them out get them out of impossible scrapes and here this was kind of the opposite approach that I don't think we've ever seen on the show before and it is and it makes sense in a, in a way because it is the finale and things have to find a resolution but uh, I in in a sense it was the easier way to go but at the same time I can't deny that Rick like you said it was impeccably written and directed in a lot of ways but uh, I feel like we, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Walt, and I would like to discuss uh, the fates of some of the supporting characters, especially Jesse. And c- can I just get y- your guys' opinion on this? Because I feel like I've read a lot of people saying that this is a happy ending for Jesse and that he gets out and he's free and he's laughing. And I just think they're all insane because <laughs> I feel like I was I was actually surprised that when we cut back to Walt, we have that hard cut back to Walt in the... Uh, at the Nazi compound, neo-Nazi compound, sorry. Uh, I don't want to offend any Nazis out there. Um, and uh, I feel like I was i was just surprised we didn't get the sound of a car crashing because I feel like Jesse's lifespan is roughly five seconds after we after we cut back to Walt. Well, yeah, no, that's what I said at the beginning of our podcast is that's why I thought it was nice that they included that flashback of Jesse the Carpenter because he will never, ever be happy like that again. And I actually got a... Uh, a clockwork orange vibe throughout this episode twice uh when walt makes his way into gretchen's house totally sort of of reminded me of uh, clockwork orange and also when jesse drives away the final shot of jesse totally looked like mcdowell in clockwork orange driving his white car uh but no i totally agree with you simon he it's not a happy ending for jesse yeah and i do think uh and i'll be i'd be curious to get your thoughts on this i said this in the review and i think it's true i mean i this writing reviews like hours after you watch something is, is just is a strange practice in general that many, many people do. But I think it was especially strange in this case. I feel like at a certain point, I would say around the beginning of season four, uh, the conscience of the show uh, shifted. And I, I think it used to be Jesse and then it became Skylar because the, the, the focus really increased on her, which was a smart move in some ways. But I do sort of I do think it's too bad that the focus on Jesse was sort of lost over time and i think the finale corrected that a little bit but maybe not as much as i would have liked well yeah, we think- get almost no time with jesse in this finale i by, by the way i absolutely agree this is not it's a momentarily exhilarating happy moment for jesse but he's a drug addict who's been through hell there's there's no way that ends happily even just like like you said down the road 
even just getting down the road is going to be uh, an, an accomplishment for him in this in this situation. I absolutely agree about the the decrease of Jesse's role in the show, and I felt like it felt very much like they didn't know what to do with him. That felt organic to the character's journey, and so they ended up just kind of having him mill around for the first half of this season, as exceptional a season as it was. Or this, sorry, I should say this half season, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Because they didn't have anything else to do with him until he, until he figured out the Brock stuff, and then they had stuff for him to do. And even last half season and, and earlier, you're right, there was a shift where they're like, uh, we are out of Jesse's stories. And it's too bad that this finale did not spend more time with these other characters that have been so significant to the series over its entire run, including Jesse. And also, Ricky, I want to agree with you that that fantasy sequence sort of of, of him making the box was beautiful and gorgeous and a very welcome respite amongst everything else that was going on in this finale and, and also way more effective than the only other flashback we got in the episode to uh to i, I guess the pilot with yeah which with i didn't i didn't need that just for the record um i kind of liked it i i think they were trying to find a way to get hank in the final episode and i think that's why they put the flashback and i think a lot of people were expecting it and maybe appreciated it but i, I think the thing is is that I think it comes down to an issue of time. Like they had 16 episodes in season five. So how I guess it was eight in, the, in season five B, right? Yeah. And even the last two episodes has is they went over the running time. Like I remember I was listening to the Insider Breaking Bad podcast at Vince Gilligan because they recorded like way back in like May, right? Or last year, whenever it was. They recorded it like way before it ever aired. And they – weren't even sure if AMC would give them okay to play the whole extended episode. So they were worried that they would have to cut it. And Vince Gilligan didn't know how they can cut it even more than it already was because there's so much that they have to, you know, talk about and so many characters that they have to show and things that they need to resolve. And the thing is, yeah, in a way it went sort of smooth for Walter White, uh, but it kind of had to in a way because of a time restriction. And you got to understand that from the point of view of the producers, the director, the writers, whatever, that they have like, you know, a specific amount of episodes, a specific amount of time, and that's all they have to work with. And they got to work around that time. So it's, it's an accomplishment given what they did. Some well, people would have done a lesser job. It's it, a restriction. Except that the first half of season five, had pacing problems where there was nothing going on for parts of it. Well, yeah, but we've so, already complained about season 5A. I but, totally but, agree. But they, they conceived of these two as a whole because of the when they you know were arguing or going back and forth with AMC about how many episodes, as soon as they got their episode order, they needed to restructure some things if this is how, you know, for it to be... I, I absolutely appreciate the there's only so much time aspect of it, and there, you're absolutely right, there is only so much time. But they could have managed that time better between 5A and 5B. Well, but the thing is, you got to remember that, and this is, I guess you can fault the writers of the show, is that they're, they are usually making it up as they go along. Like, when they decided to open up with the teaser slash fast forward slash cold open, whatever you want to call it, where um, Walt goes back to the White House to get the rice in. They had no idea why they wrote that into the script. They just wrote it into the script. Like they would do these things where they would write things into the script, but they didn't know necessarily why. So they would put themselves in uh, a position where they're like backed up against the wall and they're stuck and they need to find a way out. 
And that's what I liked about the finale is it kind of reminded me of a Tarantino movie, like something like Pulp Fiction, where in the sense of the way it was edited, like the way it would go back and forth from past to present, and the way it incorporate these flash forwards that we had seen earlier in the season. Because one of the problems I had earlier in the season was the flash forward. I liked the challenge of having those those um, those teasers at the beginning of the episodes, but at the same time, I felt like it away from some of the suspense. Like, for example, when Jesse goes to burn down the house, we know he's not going to burn down the house because we've seen uh, a flash forward in the previous episode where the White House is not burnt. You know what I mean? Um, so, but I think at the end of the day, I think it was a good choice. And I like the way everything connected in the final episode of all of the five seasons of Breaking Bad. I think season three is by far the best season. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how they go about writing each season, but I'm pretty sure they were a little confused as to how they wanted to structure season five. And you can tell because season five, a was a little sloppy. And I think one of the other reasons why I didn't really like season 5A too much, too, is because Jesse took a backseat to Walt. And I think the seasons and the episodes that I liked the most were the seasons and episodes that focused more so on Jesse. Because to me, he was a character that I really, really liked. You know, he's the character that I fell in love with. And I think that was a major disappointment with season 5 as a whole. And I will agree that I could have used a lot more Jesse even in season 5B. I remember the first episode of season 5B... It took 32 minutes for Jesse to come on screen. And I was so disappointed because we had him for five minutes and he was such a downer. You remember he was with Skinny Pete and Badger? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did their whole Star Trek. And it was um, awesome. <laughs> Jesse was kind of sitting there all depressed. I was like, oh, come on. Where's the Jesse I used to like? And Well, and I, in a way, I mean, I think that they ran out of things to do for Jesse, frankly, right at the beginning of season four because... Mm-hmm. I think, you know, because in season four, you get all that stuff that I think keeps season four from being as good as season three, even though it's all, you know, it's got some amazing stuff in it, obviously, because it's all that Gus action. But in that season, you get all the stuff with uh, Mike mentoring Jesse and the stuff that clearly they wrote just so that they could keep Jesse alive because it just didn't seem like there was any good way to do it. And I never honestly, I still don't really buy a lot of that stuff. And I think that. I think they they knew they needed to keep Jesse around because he was such a beloved character, but I'm not sure they ever found a way to do it organically. And I think it's really too bad for Aaron Paul because or A. A. Ron Paul if you watch Keen Peel. Um <laughs> I think it's too bad for him because I, I think they ran out of notes for him a long time ago. That being said, I think uh I we haven't even mentioned the incredible makeup job they did on him in this episode. And uh, I th- I thought they got to show off a little bit by having that flashback and then hard cutting to him in the, in the, uh, him as a meth slave, which can I just say meth slave is a fantastic phrase, um, <laughs> that I'm glad we can add to the lexicon. But, uh, and, and I, and I, I think it's been rewarding in its own way to have that focus shift to Skylar because the dialogue that is, that has sort of, you know, sprung up around that character since I would say near the beginning of season four has been fascinating and infuriating to watch. Well, and I also want to mention not just the makeup for for Jesse, but the makeup for for Walt and for Skylar too. In that scene between the two of them, her makeup is fantastic as well. She looks 
almost dead, <laughs> at least emotionally, very physically drawn as well. So the makeup for everybody in this was, was fantastic. And before I forget, <laughs> talking about Walt being so weak, I love that in that Elliot and Gretchen scene, if Elliot had actually gone the cheese knife route, he probably would have won because Walt, Walt is so weak, he just didn't know it. I love that little extra bit of humor underneath there. Just wanted you to say. think? I don't yeah. think so. Oh, yeah. Elliot, Elliot couldn't stop shaking. And Walt, Walt might be sick, but I mean, I think he had enough willpower to take out Elliot if well, he it, really wanted honestly, to. He can barely not cough. But, he took out like a whole army of neo-Nazis. With okay. a gun. No physical Guys, guys, we can't answer this question because we don't know whether or not Walt drank that box full of full of like protein shakes. Until That's they true. answer that question, we can't know if he would have won. Okay, whether well, he had the power of insure yeah. on his side. Exactly. But, but, but you know, from, from, like uh, we always talk about this in a Soundside podcast where I really love movies where the director tells the story more so through visuals and it's like the show don't tell kind of like technique and that's one of the reasons why i like breaking bad so much i mean every time i rewatch an episode i see something i didn't see previously and you know everyone's talked about the color coding and certain colors mean certain things like black means death everyone always talks about the even just like the, the set designs the way the white house is specifically structured in a way like uh, you know, the, the, the colors, the decor, the furniture. Um, I mean, everything about the show is top notch. It's cinematography, of course. Um, you know, one of my favorite moments goes back to the third last episode directed by, um, Ryan Johnson where Hank dies, right? And there's this one fantastic shot, which you guys didn't talk about on the Televerse podcast. So I'm just going to mention it right now, really quick. It's when Hank gets shot. There's a cut to Walt and he falls down on his knees and he falls sideways and his head hits the ground. And the way the cinematographer shot that scene, it is brilliant. Like he spins the camera around and the sun's glaring into the lens. I don't even know how he could possibly see. He must have done a blind. And when Walt's head hits the ground, like it's designed in a way where they actually somehow got the ground to sort of crack slightly to parallel represent Walt's psyche breaking at that very moment. It's brilliant. Like things like that that they do in every single episode or when Walt uh, has when when we when we get the montage of Walt rolling the barrel through the desert like that that is his punishment of greed and also the soundtrack the songs they choose and use in every single scene in every single episode I mean the attention to detail in everything is brilliant it's brilliant like I mean you can actually take each and every single episode of Breaking Bad or I would say ninety percent of each of the episodes. And you can break it down for a film class, scene by scene, and you can teach students so much about the process of filmmaking, cinematography, photography, music, soundtrack selection, acting, makeup, editing. This show is brilliant. And I think in that sense, that's why I kind of like it better than, than The Sopranos. I really do. I mean, I love The Sopranos, but when I watch a show, I just there's always something new I pick up. Can I just mention, since you brought up... Um music selection can we talk about badfinger uh and specifically uh the the choice to uh end the show with baby blue which first of all t completely caught me off guard because i wasn't expecting to hear something that upbeat in, in the in the closing moments 
Uh, first of all, if you don't know anything about Badfinger, it's worth looking up their Wikipedia page because they had a fascinating uh, sort of, I guess, life and career. Uh, that's It doesn't have anything to do with the show, and I'm sure they weren't thinking about it, but it's worth knowing. Uh, how did we feel about the deployment of that of that last track? Because I, I'm, I, have, I have so many conflicting feelings about it. Like, I think that, you know, when, uh, I forget his name, but when the singer uh, chimes in with, I guess I got what I deserved or whatever it was. I was like, this is really on the nose, Vince. Like, are you sure you want to go this way? But at the same time, it was, I think, kind of a quintessential Breaking Bad bit of music supervision. So I, but, I, I both think it was a bit much and kind of liked it also. But I, I think they've been doing that throughout the whole entire series. I think we do the exact same thing on our on our Sound Inside podcast where we select the song that uh, somehow reflects the movie that we review. And sometimes it's just because the title of the song and or the chorus is the same as the title of the movie, right? But I mean, how is it any different than the opening track of the final episode in which that song is about a man who falls in love with a girl named Felina? And then what happens to pop out of the glove department? It's the cassettes and he puts on the song or actually the, the tapes are already in the car and it starts playing. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that kind of like, I mean, that's that's kind of like a cute gag, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's, well, well, yeah, except that Felina is like, that's the only popular usage of felina so if the title they chose the title based on the song or the f-e-l-i-n-a thing that that's been going around so so it's that's different because they chose the title based on the song as opposed to choosing the song based on the title wait say that again (laughs) felina like the only when you when you google felina the only thing that is the only thing that comes up you mean the song the song well up until now because now every time you you bring it up it brings up blood meth and Blood, meth, and tears, yeah. Sodium, um, lithium, and forget what's the third one? Um, Fe, iron. Iron, yeah, right. Iron's found in blood, sodium's found in um, tears, and lithium's found in meth, yeah. Blood, meth, tears. I mean, even the title of the episode is somewhat brilliant. Going back to the music, I I absolutely agree about the brilliance of the music supervision on this show. I love the music on this show. It's something we've talked about in the Televerse before. It always makes my life easy when Breaking Bad is back because it's really easy to pick interesting fun songs from that week's television because there's always at least one in Breaking Bad. I 100% agree with you Simon about the the final track choice. I was watching going, "Really? Okay, I'll give it to you as a good song." It you know, it, it becomes less obvious slightly as it continues. But uh yeah, I I was I was exactly on the same page about when that track started. I wanted to also mention one of the, the that earlier song. I love the use of western music like sort of like more old timey the sort of songs that would be used in a western from basically a post high noon western when when having songs as your soundtrack to to western you know films became a a big money maker for for hollywood and so the every western had an introductory song the 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 genre and the style of of the songs that are on the soundtrack for breaking bad many of them fit into that sort of you know 50s uh 40s sort of western feel and i I really enjoy that extra element to to the uh to the scoring the scoring in general is almost always fantastic on the show but to go and i'm sure you guys will want to comment on on the scoring some more but i also wanted to mention ricky this is a beautifully made produced acted uh it's it's a brilliant everything you said i absolutely agree with makeup set design costuming every department on breaking bad brings their absolute a game 
but that doesn't mean that I'm going to engage with it emotionally. So just because it's a, it's gorgeous to look at and it is impeccably crafted doesn't mean that it's emotionally resonant for me. And so I think that's a difference in how we approach television. And I think that's I think that might be the single defining reason that we had such a different reaction to this finale. Well, and, and, and I say this every week on the Sound Insight podcast is I always talk about the difference between me and Simon and Josh and myself, uh, my co-host Josh Spiegel, who also hosts the Sound Insight movie podcast, is they are writers and they first and foremost look at the screenplay, right? And to them, I think, I could be wrong, but I think screenplay is first and foremost important. And sometimes I can overlook flaws in the script because I'm so blown away by the way the director tells the story visually. And I think with Breaking Bad is I don't watch Breaking Bad for the same reasons I watch something like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example here, like Parenthood or like a really emotionally powerful family drama. I It's kind of a bit of escapism because Breaking Bad is a, a far stretch from, stretch from reality. I mean, you do have to suspend your disbelief sometimes. I mean, Let's go way back to at the end of season four when Gus gets his head blown off and he walks out of the room and half of his head is gone and he adjusts his tie. It was very cartoonish and a lot of people had a problem with that specific shot. And I kind of liked it because it's sort of steeped in reality, but not necessarily like I mean, like I mean, look at everything that Walt does. I mean, uh, I think Jesse in what was it like? The second or third episode of season five B, when he's when he's uh, being interrogated by Hank, he tells Hank, he's like, "No, you don't understand. You're not as smart as Walter White, and you're not as lucky as Walter White." And there's a lot to be said about Walt's luck, especially in the final episode. I mean, the guy is so incredibly lucky; he he gets out of the most impossible situations, and it's it's a stretch. You know what I mean? Like you do have to sp- suspend your disbelief, and so that's why when I watch Breaking Bad, I kind of watch it because. I want to just sit back and enjoy it for all its batshit craziness. And that's why I wasn't necessarily happy with the penultimate episode because it was such an incredible downer, you know, and that's not the breaking bad that I liked way back in season three or the breaking bad that caught my attention with the pilot, which was over the top crazy. And, you know, like what the hell, what is this average everyday man who's a high school, like science teacher doing like all of a sudden getting, mixed up and involved in a drug business like and, and losing his pants and losing his uh, pants <laughs> can i uh, i just want to chime in quickly on on the music again uh first of all i can't have been the only one who when that marty robin robbins tape dropped i was like fuck yeah because because <laughs> i i i must have heard el paso hundreds of times as a kid uh so i was intimately familiar with the track i think anything from a classic western would have worked just fine uh i would have i if they could have shoehorned in uh, gene pitney's the man who shot liberty valance i would have been just as happy uh but i think um el paso works in all kinds of delightful ways and i like that they excised the bits of the track that would have been most obvious in terms of paralleling if you know the whole song yeah uh, so i like that as well um and that yeah the soundtrack selections have been brilliant over the course of the show i think my favorite my single favorite music selection they ever did it wasn't the most obscure uh actually there are two that stand out one is um that tv on the radio track that they play in the episode when walt uh decides to scare off the other would-be meth cooks in the um in the parking lot of the walmart or whatever it is uh the track's called dlz i think uh that that was a fantastic drop and also the alexander song 
truth that plays over the montage. We didn't get enough montages this season. Uh, the montage where they find um, Gail's notebook and the evidence in his house. Uh, that was an incredible drop as well. That, did- that I think is my favorite. And I think that I would say 95% of viewers had no clue what that song was. And all of a sudden it was like a huge mm-hmm. hit. Oh, and uh, I, it, it's, it's worth mentioning like YouTube hits for Badfinger have gone up 9,000% <laughs> over the last few days. So uh, I'm hoping their estate makes something off, off Breaking Bad now. But uh, and, and, and as for the scoring, I mean, the, the scoring on Breaking Bad is utterly unlike anything else on TV. It's uh, absolutely bizarre. It's on on the TV landscape. It's almost avant garde in places, and I think uh, I think I'm hoping that a lot of other shows start to take cues from it because there are lots of even great shows that I watch where I just cringe at the scoring all the time. I, I, I know I know Kate, you can sympathize with this. <laughs> and and let's give credit to the composer Dave Porter for doing such a fantastic job. So hopefully many, many more shows will be hiring him. And actually, I, I think we're already seeing the influence on shows like Hannibal. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, is that I never, ever noticed the composer's name. Like I know of David Porter. I know he's the composer of Breaking Bad. But for whatever reason, on the final episode, it, the one credit that stood out was his name. And because of that, I could not help but seriously focus on the score throughout the whole entire episode. I totally agree. I mean, he does such, um, I guess, Simon, you called it avant-garde. I don't know. It's just an alternative way to scoring a TV show where he uses, uses some of the, the normal techniques that I guess a composer would do, but then at times he changes it up. It's, it's really interesting. I'm not, I wish I was a music expert, but it is something I notice. And, um, you know, it's funny that when you watch an episode directed and also written by Vince Gilligan, it has this Tarantino-esque feel to it. And I'm not surprised that he is such a huge fan of Tarantino that one of his favorite movies of all time is Jackie Brown, which is why he specifically wanted Robert Forrester to make a cameo appearance in the penultimate episode. And um, I think that you can you can see it in in the way he chooses his soundtracks, the way he writes his dialogue, the way he gets the performances out of his actors, the way it's structured in the editing room. And I would actually like to see Vince Gilligan create a Western TV show because the, like some of my favorite moments throughout season five, especially season five B, were very influenced by the Western. And I think he would do an amazing job. I mean, at this point, I think I'd follow him into hell. <laughs> I, mean, it, I, I mean, which... Which may be happening because I, I noticed he's he wrote a what is it an ABC cop show? Oh, CBS I think which, picked it up from ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, which which apparently he won't be acting as showrunner on, so I won't blame him if it's not good. Let's, but let's, come uh, on, have you looked at that description? When it's probably not good. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Uh, I I honestly it's it just seems like CBS were like we will buy anything. What do you have lying around? He's like ah, I wrote this a decade ago. Uh, so I'm not really going to count that as his next project. But after this, he's he's definitely earned a whole lot of trust and a whole lot of interest for me. Then again, he has earned the right to a break. Yeah. Um, before I forget, with in talking about the music, I got to mention, I, it's not the most subtle. It's the least subtle, frankly. Uh, but I the musical moment that will always come first to my mind for this show is that badass mariachi opening. 
mariachi opening yes the the narco corridor oh yes. my god so much love uh so i, I had to m- remember that before we <laughs> i moved on for the music the i feel like we should talk because we we're already almost at our hour <laughs> so i feel like we should talk about some of these other performances and actors and uh, over the course of the series well i i think I'm, I'm glad they found room for betsy brandt in the finale because it's um, it's it's been interesting to watch how in this last season a lot of characters have had these pivot points because they only just now know what's going on that we've known for the entire length and I think she's the character who who got the most out of it uh, in terms of changing from one mode to another and to see her go from what she was for four seasons essentially to finding this extra dimension where she's just ruthless. <laughs> Uh, it, but you know, in a in a righteous sort of way, I think that was it was so great to see her get to play that. Um, I think she got a better opportunity with that than R.J. Mitty did. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of R.J. Mitty. Uh, I mean, he's okay, but I remember uh, the episode, um, the Ryan Johnson episode again. What is it called? Ozymandias. Thank you. Uh, in that episode, um, he was good. I think he was as good as he could have been because I think it was kind of awkward watching his performance, watching him just stand up to Walt and realizing everything that's been happening over the past, like, I guess it's two years of their life. Uh, I think it was kind of awkward for us, the viewers, because we never really seen him given a chance to really act, to really have a reason to be emotional like that. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if I necessarily blame the actor, but his performance, it worked, but he just felt like he was outshined by the rest of the cast. And, um, I'm like, I mean, even in like the, the 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 second last episode when he gets the phone call at school, it didn't really work for me, honestly. So I was kind of glad that he didn't really have a speaking role in the final episode, but we did get a chance to see him. I uh, I really really love Betsy Brandt throughout the whole entire series, like starting way back from season one. I always really liked her character, um, and Anna Gunn is just brilliant. Like she's amazing. She's the character that I love to hate and at the same time love to love. And at the same time, like, wanted to die. <laughs> I was just like, it was up until, like, I, I guess season 5B that I just really wanted her to blow up. And then I started to just, like, change my point of view. I was like, nah, she should survive. And But she was really pissing me off, as Kate knows. Um, <laughs> we've, we've gone an hour and now talked about Skylar. And we're probably not going to because we're out of time. No, we're, not, we're not going to. But I will say that Walt Jr., summed it all up for me personally when he told her in the car that he he said you're just as bad as him if you knew about this this whole entire time um so yeah i think that's how i kind of felt i kind of felt the way he felt in that one moment but uh the performances are great dean norris was fantastic and everything but what i want to know is do you guys think that the way they approached writing breaking bad is better than the way any other showrunner would do it in the sense that like they made the pilot right that first episode and they did not have the next five episodes written they had no clue where they were going with the show and then the pilot got picked up and then they had all of a sudden write five episodes and then when they went into season two you know they still weren't sure where the season was headed and then you know when they went into season three and four and five they weren't sure how many episodes they would have how many if AMC would continue to pick them up. And I think it was only about season three where it was a real solid success, right? A lot of people were tuning in and viewing the show. But throughout uh, the whole... Uh, like under two million, but so, okay. so not a success, but enough critical buzz that it was going to... They felt more secure. Well, okay. But throughout the whole entire run, they were pretty much making it up as they went along. And 
I think it's brilliant that they would put themselves in these impossible tight situations and find a way out. But is that a better method than, say, writing a show and knowing specifically how it's going to end? Because say something like Lost, because and I'm not an expert in Lost because like you all know, I dropped out in season after season one. I did not like it. But from my understanding, they had this clear plan of action. And I think if I'm not mistaken, one of the writers dropped out. And, and no, sorry, it was an actor that dropped out who was uh, a key player in like the very ending of where they wanted to take the show. So they had to totally change focus and direction of where the show was headed. And that's why I was told that Lost kind of like fell off the tracks because this actor all of a sudden did not want to be in the show anymore. So it's tricky because if you have it all already pre-planned, anything can go wrong and that can screw up your whole you know, your whole plan, like the whole direction. Okay. okay. First of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Kate to chime in on the law stuff because she's the expert and I'm not. But I think that people have strange ideas about how TV gets made. Yeah. And I think that when we marvel at how the show is written and how they, you know, back themselves into these quarters and write themselves out, it is impressive. Don't get me wrong. But it's not that different from how the sausage gets made generally. It's very, it's incredibly rare. In fact, it almost never happens at all where showrunners know how, know how many episodes they want to go for, have a very clear arc in mind and execute it the way that they plan. In fact, I can't think of any show where that's ever happened perfectly Wait, except for like miniseries. Can I just cut in for a second? Are you talking about a network or cable? Any, anything. Any. Anything. But that's not true because if you're doing like Arrow and CW, you know you're getting 24 episodes. No, that's, that's. Okay, so the way that it tends to work uh, is almost every show is produced and written the same way that Breaking Bad was written. And a show like Arrow that has 20, they know they're going to have 13 and they hope they're going to get the back nine. And then if they get the back nine, they write nine more episodes. They they may know they want to do, they're going to do something kind of at the for the finale that's going to be more arc-like and they're going to tie that in with something that's earlier and they're going to kind of jump into this overall mythology here and there. And, and maybe this arrow is the, not the right example. Maybe there's more specifics there I'm not aware of. But in general, almost every single TV show, they just write it episode, as it goes. Okay, and, wait, sorry. Can and, I just, uh... and Lost is the same way. Okay, but, but the thing is, the actual creators or showrunners sometimes they do have an idea of where it's headed like they might change their their mind like has it's it, usually it, a so. very vague okay idea. well in the sense of loss i was told that they were going in one direction and an actor dropped out so they had to completely change direction yeah. but then you look at a show like hannibal where you know brian fuller already has season one two three and four mapped out he knows exactly what he wants to do in those first four seasons well he knows the overall basic beats exactly what he wants to do and they knew that for breaking bad too they knew the no, overall no, basic beats no, yes no yes they did I, you listen <laughs> if you listen, if you listen to the insider breaking bad podcast in every single episode they will say in that podcast these are the creators writers producers editors and directors of each uh of, of the show and they always say they had no idea where they were headed and every single episode they had the overall idea because they've, as they've always said, the pitch was Mr. Chips to Scarface. That is the overall idea. So they knew where they wanted to take the show. They didn't know the specifics of how they were going to do it. And season two is a, is a season where they went for a much more tightly constructed, we're going to get to this specific point. That was a much more planned out season. But most of the time they're flying by the seats of their pants with this overall idea in place. And that's what most shows do, including Hannibal. But Mr. Chips of Scarface is pretty much what, like the first two, three seasons? I mean, No, that's the beginning to the end. 
to some degree, yeah. I mean, a that's, shootout and dead. That's the end of Scarface. But that's such a vague description. Okay, so he's going to go from Mr. Chips to Scarface. Yeah. But like everything else, like, I mean, they're, they had no clue how like Hank would die. They had no clue if yeah. Jesse would live or die until they come to the episode before it. Like, or until yeah, that's what actually, most shows do. That's what most shows do. Okay. Yeah. It's when we talk about how, what a great job the entire crew did versus the, the job the, the writing staff did. I think what Breaking Bad proves more than maybe any other show is that writing and structuring an entire TV series is one of the hardest things in the universe to do. Yeah. Um, they just do it, it way better than most other people do. They, they do it way better than most people. But even these guys working at the top of their game, they still mess up and there's still there's still pacing issues. There's still character issues here and there. There's plausibility issues. And I think it, it just points out, you know, and we have the same problem on, on with film, Rick. Like, every, you know, we, we state this every week. Problems with with films are so are 99 percent of the time screenplay based. And I think Breaking Bad is just more proof that creative film and, and, and teleplay writing is just so incredibly, it's such an arduous process and it's so filled with pitfalls. And while I don't, I, I totally agree with Kate, the way the sausage got made on Breaking Bad wasn't radically different from other shows, except for again, the second season, because that was meticulous. And I think it kind of suffered for that. But, you know, there are some net networks like Stars, for example, where if you pitch a TV show and and like if you want it to get made for that specific network, you have to actually write out the first nine episodes like you write out the first nine episodes. If they like it, they give you funding for the first nine episodes. You go and you shoot the first nine episodes. Your season is done. It's all in a can. They know exactly where it starts and where it ends. That is. Yeah. And that's why Spartacus is probably the only show I can think of in recent memory that got to do its vision beginning to end. But there, there's quite a few. And that's what I'm trying to, that's what, that's how this whole big conversation started. Cause I just wanted to know what you guys think is a better approach. Well, and there's a, there's a big difference between you're going to have 10 episodes and then you go, okay, well then these are the 10 episodes mm -hmm. uh, and, and getting renewed. That's what most, most cable shows, they know they're going to have 10 and they go, and then they go into the writer room and the writer's room and they figure out, okay, What's our overall general idea that we're doing this season? Where what are some beats we want to hit? And they go from there. And that's that's the general idea of what they did on Breaking Bad as well. They took it a season. You know, no, 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 I understand. But what I'm asking you is, in in the case of say Stars, I, Stars is uh -huh. the only one I can think of right now. They have to write down the plot synopsis for each episode, so they have to know exactly what happens in every single one of those nine episodes because the season is nine episodes long. That's it. They go in with their plan. They write out the story, the characters, what happens, who dies, who doesn't die, whatever, whatever. And that's how it happens. Like, it's all pre-planned. And I'm asking you if you think that's a better approach than something like Breaking Bad, where they always put themselves in this tight corner or against the wall. Because I, the, the, the thing is, is that with TV as opposed to filmmaking, Simon, is that usually with a film, you have one or two writers that write the script and that's it. And there, there, might, there could be a rewrite and you can ask someone to just uh, – you can bring in a script supervisor. But it comes specifically from one voice. And the tricky – the tricky thing about TV is you have different writers writing different episodes throughout different seasons and you bring in new writers and they have a different focus or different idea of what the character is like or not like. Like when you listen to the Breaking Bad Insider podcast, it's funny how they are the creators of the show and the actors of the show and they have a different point of view of why Walt does what he does and how Walt reacts to a situation. Like Brian Cranston would be like, 
no, in this episode, I totally disagree with you. I think Walt was blah, blah, blah. And the director's like, well, that's funny because when I directed, I had Walt in a completely different mind frame. And it's really interesting. And I'm not, I, I just, I mean, if I was backing up a TV show, I think that as a producer, I would want like at least a plot synopsis for each episode. And then maybe they can like, you know, change things as they go along if they feel they need to or it's a better decision decision that they can make that they didn't conceive of prior but i think having that sort of like skeleton is a lot safer in in, in a way maybe maybe more boring but well and that's also the difference between the american production model and the british production model if you look at the british uh the television approach it tends to be much shorter run and you tend to have one or maybe two writers for all the episodes and they go and they write it all and then they they or they write each episode and then they they shoot and film them whereas and they don't have they don't have a writer's room that's not how british tv at least in general is made and then you look at the american model where they do have a writer's room you have all these different writers they they get in a room together they toss things back and forth they figure out the various beats together and then then the, the individual individual writers go and leave and write their episodes and then they get sent to the showrunner and the script supervisor who go through and make corrections and tell them to redo this and they re maybe they do their own rewrite uh usually the the a lot of the times your showrunner is going to, going to have rewritten maybe chunks of almost every episode in, in a more showrunner heavy kind of show like a joss whedon show the the writers on Buffy and Angel would always talk about how you, people would come up to them and say, oh, I love this one line from your episode. And almost every time it was a Joss Whedon line because it had been rewritten. So the, the American model is much more collaborative. That's how that's how it's approached. So maybe that's sort of, you know, that that single writer perspective is much more the British model. And it is coming on cable so, to some extent, like you said, with stars, there's um, there's there's more of that spell out everything because they can ask that. Whereas network TV and, and the cable channels, they don't. Um, and, and people will do it because they want their show to get made. But that is that is the by far the exception. And in general, just because you are pre-planning out your, your nine episodes, your ten episodes, doesn't mean that you're not similarly putting your characters into ridiculous binds and then starting your next synopsis, they got out of it, and then this week this happens. Well, and I, I See, strike back. Well, and, See, and strike back, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree, and one of the beauties about Breaking Bad is that um, because they are, quote-unquote, making it up as they go along, they, it's that, um, what's the word I'm looking for, sporadic, kind of on-the-fly at the moment, something went wrong, or for whatever reason, you just notice something and therefore it changes how you're going to write the episode like oh i'm driving in my car and i hear a song has been Gilligan has said plenty of times while watching or mm -hmm. while listening to the breaking bad uh, insider podcast he's like and that song just gave me the idea of how the next scene would play out and so he would head back to the writer's room and he would change the whole you know scene like i think there's something to be said like i think some of the greatest moments in in history of like film and television were sort of brainstormed on the fly or it's because like something went wrong on set that that camera shot just happened to look better than the camera shot that they had planned out and or whatever vice versa so it's tricky like it's interesting to see two different models and to think about how you would produce a tv show um and and that's the thing like i, I can't like I, I i i normally stay away from like twitter and stuff i mean i'm on twitter and everything but i just like don't I don't really like to follow people because I find there's too many whiny people on the internet, right? <laughs> but um, 
The thing is, I heard that there was a huge backlash after the finale of Breaking Bad, and a lot of people were really upset. And I'm like, how could you be so upset over the finale? I mean, it, it wasn't at all a bad episode. Maybe because no. it necess- it was good. <laughs> it was so good. Like in in the grand scheme of series finales, I think it was a very good finale. And I mean, this is coming what a week, two weeks after the Dexter finale, which. <laughs> I, I can't i stopped Love watching dexter seasons ago but i still can't not laugh at that but i mean I, I what we're talking about is you know chaos versus order and what's what's a better approach to art and i think this this ties into my feel feelings about the finale is we in that finale we did lose that seat of the pants feeling that came from you know this this was this was explicitly written and directed by vince gilligan the, the show creator and showrunner and he had a very specific idea about what he wanted to do. No more chaos. And that was a little disappointing because it kind of contradicted the nature of the show. But I think in American television, there is this battle going on between do we, as the as the medium, you know, evolves and Breaking Bad is one of the most cinematic series ever made. Should should the writing process evolve to become more film like or do we embrace the sort of chaos of the of the American writers room? And, you know, you're. And I think we're that's going to continue to play out over the next few decades. Are we going to get more, uh, more of the stars model, more Louis, where you've got one guy writing everything, or is the you know are we going to keep or are we going to value sort of that seat of the pants approach? And I think we're going to get a lot of both. I think we're going to get more of the sort of single writer approach because it's thrifty. For, if for if for no other reason than that, we're going to get more of that, and because writers and and showrunners, directors like control. Uh, but I think that the the writer's room is not going anywhere. And I think Breaking Bad proves that that the writer's room has unique powers. And <laughs> and no, it's not perfect. But, and I need to stress this, there will never be a perfect TV series. Never has been, never will be, not going to happen. People who call Breaking Bad perfect are silly. People who call my favorite show ever, Deadwood uh, Perfect, are also silly. Um, and I, the idea of perfect TV is pure folly. And I, that's one of the things that makes the medium great. Well, and I just want to quickly respond to what you just said. First of all, um, technically, this was Vince Gilligan's show. He created it. He was showrunner. And if he wants to write, direct, and end the series the way he did, then he has every right to. Oh, absolutely. And second absolutely. of all, second of all, so people should stop whining. My number one rule when I work at work because I work with kids. My number one rule, like usually when you work with kids, it's like don't fight, don't cuss, and whatever, whatever. No, my number one rule is don't whine. I hate. <laughs> I swear, I'm not joking. I like it's like North America. We we become these people just whine about everything. But anyways, um, the second thing I wanted to follow up on uh, with what you just said, Simon, the idea of chaos versus order. I understand that point of view and that criticism. But the thing is, the way I looked at it, and perhaps I'm wrong, but in that episode, to me, it's the very first episode the very first time where and you know kate has already argued that she didn't buy into walt's transformation but it's the very first episode where walt finally accepts who he wants to be whereas the previous like five seasons you know the the past two years of his life he's been conflicted he's been he's tried to be the stay-at-home dad who suffer who who has cancer he might or might not die and he has financial problems and he's trying to hold on to his family and he's also trying to be the drug lord. Half and measures, in, you might say. Half measures. And in this episode, he finally just ad- accepts that he wants to be this criminal mastermind. And this is his last chance to do it. And so I think that is why they're 
was order because he finally took charge of himself, his life, and like uh, accepted who he wanted to be. So that's why there was no chaos. I think the reason why there was so much chaos in the past, I mean, yeah, sure, he was like a high school teacher who then became a, a criminal mastermind, a drug lord, and so he was learning the ropes of the game. And of course, there's going to be you know, mistakes made and there's going to be a learning process and whatnot. But I think after all that time has passed and because he's not trying to balance both lives and because he's not as emotionally conflicted, I think it only made sense that there was order because he finally took charge. If that makes any sense. It was like his mind frame sort of like mirrored the way the episode was structured, like the narrative. So that's why for me it worked. I think it needed to have order and not chaos. I think that if it was just chaotic it would have ended and nobody would have been satisfied. Like at least like this half people or half of the viewers were at least satisfied. But I think if it was just chaotic, nobody would have been satisfied because it just nothing would have come. Um, to, there would there would have been no closure for anybody at all, period. At least like this, we get closure for every single character. I was trying to figure out if there was any loose ties or missing ends. And I don't think there was. The only character that I'm still confused about is Huel. Like is that guy still like <laughs> sitting in the room? Oh, I love that though. I love that. Um, I want to mention a couple of things before I forget again, because there's so much, we're talking about so many interesting different things. And I still haven't mentioned, said anything about Lost, and I should. Lost had an overarching basic ideas stretch, you know, figured out, penciled out, this character is going to be important here, this is going to lead to that. But the the details were not, and they figured that out as they went along season to, to season. So when a character, when one of the actors is, really wanted to leave Hawaii, and they let him go, that screwed some of their plans up for later that season, and they had to reshuffle. They had planned that Walt, they didn't know how he was going to be important, but they knew he was going to be important, and then the kid grew up, and that didn't work anymore. So I... uh, so Different Walt, we should explain. Different Walt, different (laughs) Walt. Yes, very different Walt. Um, And and so that that messed up some of their long-term plans. They didn't have it nailed down, he's going to do this, 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 and this, but he's going to be important. Oh, wait, no, he's not, because he can't be on the show anymore. Oh, so Uh, so the character was a kid? One of the, no, that was a different character. There were several kinks in the plan. One of the problems when making a TV show, uh, in, in a sense, because like Breaking Bad is like technically six seasons in my point of view. It's been like six years in the making, and technically it's only been two years of their life. Like he started when he was fifty. He the show ends when he's fifty-two. But then you have a kid in the show, and that kid is growing up so incredibly fast. Sometimes <laughs> that causes a huge problem. We always go back to The Walking Dead, right? Like Carl. Like how yeah. much time has actually passed? Now the kid looks fifteen, but he started when he was eight. Yeah. 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 And and uh, if you want to look at if you if you really want to examine the by the seat of your pants approach and the planned out approach rather than lost what I would direct you to is Babylon 5 which by J Michael Straczynski uh, he's the sh- creator showrunner and all that stuff and that is a fascinating portrayal of of that because he had a very clear five season he was the first person to have the show bible or to do that approach in television and Babylon 5 was th- was that five-year approach and then the show got canceled after four seasons and so he had to wrap everything up in just a handful of episodes and then it got a last second renewal and so he had to stretch things out again so it's just fascinating to look at and that's one of the it can be really satisfying when you have like when something's been like three years in the making and it finally clicks in there's something in supernatural season like three you you know you're watching supernatural season two or three and then you realize oh crap this underlying thing has been here this whole time and i didn't even notice it and it's hugely satisfying well but it can really go wrong too one more wrinkle in the lost thing because it just happened uh is that they just recently released the original series pitch which Uh was just lies 
It was just flat out <laughs> lies. So there's all kinds of things going on with Lost. All kinds of things going on. And now with with Breaking Bad to to get back to that, um, there are a couple. I I, I want to ask you guys. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on if you would have been talking about like what would be satisfying for the Nelly. Would you have been satisfied if if we hadn't had the flash forwards at the beginning of these various seasons, and so we weren't they weren't tied into that ending? Would you have been satisfied? with Ozymandias being the last episode? Because I would have. I, I think I would have. I think, because I, I even wrote in my review when Ozymandias happened, uh, I said, you know, this is, if it's not the ending, but it's an ending. And I, it feels to me like whatever follows is going to be epilogue. And then after those two episodes, that's still how I felt. And I remember thinking, Gilligan said something about how Ozymandias is the best episode we've done or will ever do. I thought maybe he was, you know, just being clever. But as it turns out, Vince Gilligan's not really the sort to trick people. Um, He was just being honest. And I think that's I don't think there's anything wrong with the last two episodes. But clearly that Ozymandias, if it's not the best episode of Breaking Bad, which Gilligan thinks it is, it's clearly very close. And I think to go out with that would have been uh, I mean, that would have had people talking for years. You know, it, uh, it's a tricky question. I think it's the best episode of Breaking Bad, hands down, period. Um, but, I mean, you're asking me if, take away the flash forwards, it ends with that episode, would I have been satisfied? No. Uh, unless they extended it or add something towards the end. But that episode, uh, now, refresh my memory, what was the final shot of that episode? It was uh, the phone call. No, no, it's Walt getting in the car, driving off with Saul's guy. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right, Kate. If you took away the flash forwards, then we wouldn't have any loose ends. And yes, I think I would have been incredibly satisfied. I think I would have preferred it because we're, we are taking away the flash forwards. And, yeah. that, and, and you know what? That goes back to my argument I had with Simon like way back after the first episode. Simon, you and I talked for like 45 minutes after... Uh, the first episode of season 5B, and I told you I didn't like the fact that they included a flash forward right away because I thought it could screw up their plans for future episodes. And I think that's exactly what happens. I think they included these flash forwards. Like, it's like I said, when I listened to the, the Breaking Bad Insider podcast, like they have a machine gun in the trunk of the car. They write it in, but they don't know why right away, necessarily why, but they write in that teaser. And then they're right in the teaser where he gets the rice in, but they don't know why, but they write it in. So they they put themselves like, in, in a tricky spot like they, they needed to find a way out and I think in that sense I think the flash forwards kicked them in the ass like I think it was a bad decision like I do like those the teasers and I like the way uh, you know like there was the whole um, like like a good example of a good teaser is the teaser we had in the Ryan Johnson episode in which it opens up uh, it's actually not a flash forward it's a flashback and they recreated the whole, the whole sequence it was actually the very last thing they filmed in Breaking Bad uh, when Walt and Jesse go out for the first cook and, you know, and Walt calls back Skyler at home and you see Jesse in the background just acting stupid, that scene, like, that was a great teaser. It's it's a flashback, so it doesn't really impact the story of where we're headed. And so, therefore, it, does, it, it won't cause any problems. So, yeah, I think the flash forwards really fucked them over. I, I think that would have been a better finale. Interesting. You don't think so? Um- no, I I agree. I I love. I mean, I still think it for me. And and Eric Goldman from IGN said this on Twitter, and I absolutely agree. For me, Ozymandias is the finale, and and it's an interesting thing with 
with television shows, they almost never follow the traditional introduction, rising action, rising action, climax, denouement. Like people who complain about the Lord of the Rings, multiple endings are looking at that as one film, not as a nine hour journey. So of course there's like a half hour to come down because it's eight and a half hours of build and a half an hour of, of, you know, resolve resolution. And if you look at most television shows, don't do that, that traditional sort of narrative, you know, film or, or novel, uh, you know, books <laughs> approach of, of having somewhat of a falling action at the very end. And so for me, this felt like five seasons, six seasons, really of climb. And then Ozymandias is the climax. And then there's two, episodes of sort of you know falling action afterwards and uh the most satisfying what I, I would have absolutely been satisfied i would have loved having azamandias be that the last thing we see but i think it also makes sense to have you know some conclusion if 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 and only if they had made one change one change in that episode i would it should have been the last episode they should have shot jesse and ended it because because okay. the thing is, if that was the very last episode and Jesse was left alive and being taken away by Todd and his men to be a Met slave, nobody would have been satisfied with that ending from Jesse because everybody would be like, what the hell's happening with Jesse? That's a loose end that doesn't go well or doesn't sit well with the audience. So yeah, if, if that was the final episode, which I agree would have been the best fi- final episode ever, probably, um, then yes, they would have had to have killed Jesse and it could end with Walt driving away and he can go live his miserable life under a fucking sewer for all I care. Mind you, I don't think I would have been happy with the years of, of, of the Walt stands afterwards, never resolving the issue of whether or not it was his family with that last loaded phone call. I think that would yeah, have been that's... really fucking annoying. Oh, that could, that could have been fun. It could have been Sopranos 2.0. I, we have gone... Uh, 50% over our intended length. <laughs> of course. So we really should wrap up. Uh, but of course, I'm not going to help with that because I have two final nitpicks. And I should really reiterate here because sometimes people don't get this. I love Breaking Bad. I think it's an amazing show. I like it way better than The Sopranos. I think The Sopranos finale is better, but I like, Breaking Bad's an amazing show. And uh, just because I have some issues with this finale does not mean I don't think it's a great show and think this is a really good, good uh, almost great, maybe, finale. Uh, so my last two things I want to mention, because I'm really I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Why couldn't they just have had Lydia's daughter in the scene with her? If she had been, like, brushing her daughter's hair or something, that would have been so much more effective, that final shot of her. Or even if her daughter was, like, in the corner reading a book, because they introduced that character of the daughter, and they and Lydia really wasn't a character for the last chunk of the episodes, and that would have really humanized her again in a very effective way and also i'm really kind of annoyed that the last moment between jesse and walt feels like one of acceptance jesse should still hate him okay first of all lydia her final scene didn't really bug me just because of the ringtone on todd's phone i could not stop laughing (laughs) (laughs) and uh, as far as jesse goes um I don't think Jesse accepted Walt. I think Jesse basically walked away because he doesn't think that Walt even deserves any more attention, much less is he going to commit an act of murder for someone that completely ruins his life. I think Walt... Oh, yeah. No, I mean after that. There's sort of like a nod between them, and then Jesse drives off. 
Uh, like, I think Jesse needed to kill Todd because he actually watched Todd kill Andrea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think we needed Jesse to kill Todd. The nod, I think it's a matter of mutual. How should I explain this? It's like honor among thieves, honor among criminals to some extent. It's kind of like, it's just, it's not this respect. It's kind of like just the rules of the game, if that makes any sense. And I think it it would just, I mean, what's he going to do? Like, he's going to keep on screaming and yelling at him and start crying. I mean, I think the nod was appropriate. I have one question for you, Kate. Um, so is your disappointment in the finale, is it because the Ryan Johnson episode was so damn good? Like, what if we took away the Ryan Johnson episode? I mean, imagine it didn't exist. I know it's really hard to do, but imagine it didn't exist. <laughs> so Hank's alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, th- my, my my frustrations with this finale have nothing to do with comparing it to Ozymandias because they're, they're not about quality of production. They're about the show validating Walt in a certain way. He wins. Yes, he still dies, but he was going to die anyway. He had cancer. He was going to die soon, no matter what. So in this, in the end, he gets to feel like a big man one more time with, with, uh, with Elliot and Gretchen, he gets to give his kids drug money, even though they try, they don't want it. He gets to, uh, he gets to kill all the people he wanted to kill. He gets to, he gets to say a, if not tearfully emotional, but somewhat of an accepting final scene with, with his wife. He gets to say goodbye to Holly. The only thing he doesn't get is, is closure with Flynn. And he feels like he has that somewhat because he's giving Flynn these nine million dollars that Flynn doesn't want, and Flynn's not even going to know he doesn't want them. So, it, so but, but everything that Walt wants, and it, you know, it all comes to fruition in this episode. So he wins, and that really bothers me. That's the show that Vince Gilligan wants to make. That is absolutely one hundred percent the show that he gets to make. I am not going to criticize that. But as far as my enjoyment of it. That's the hurdle for me. Well, and, and that's exactly what I needed to hear. So that makes total sense because, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think, I think like I told all my friends, it's going to end with Walt somewhat a hero. It's going to end going Walt's way. That's how it has to end. It's going to end that way because I don't think it had to end that no, way. No, but that's, yes, you're right. <laughs> I was saying that about midway through season five B because when, when right before season five B started, what I wanted to see, what I thought they would do is Jesse would be the hero. Walt's life would be totally destroyed. And he would be the schmuck that walks away losing everything. And he wouldn't have any of those moments that piss you off. But then once we were already midway through season five B and Jesse was being held as a meth slave and yada, yada, yada. I was like, there's no other way for them to end it. They're not going to like it would have been good. At that point in time, if they had ended with the uh, the second, uh, not the second last, the third last episode, but they didn't. And so, you know, once we got to, to the penultimate episode, I was like, for sure, it's going to end with a big bang and Walt getting his way. And that's exactly what's going to happen. But I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. He was going to die regardless. Um, but I guess maybe that maybe that's the um, in a way, that's a strange beauty of it, because. His like Heisenberg is going to be remembered in that universe, kind of like you know, like like a Scarface. Like he's going to be this bigger than life character that in that universe they are probably going to make movies about and TV shows about and write books <laughs> about. And mm-hmm. God knows what's going to happen to Flynn and Holly in the future. And um, I think that 
there's some a kind of strange beauty about that. Like I think that you're pissed off because you hate Walt so much that you're pissed off that he got his way. But that that's kind of a good reaction though. Well, but also the morality of the show shifted over the course of the final season. The show was telling you Walt's a bad guy, Walt's wrong, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be cheering for Walt. And then in the last episode they said, No, it's okay to cheer for Walt because he feels bad and he realizes that he was a bad guy. I think that's why I like it though, because I'm kind of like skinny Pete and Badger. I like my morality plays a little murky. <laughs> well, yeah, it, and and for me it's just that that change. It's like it, it's the thing we've talked about before, at least I, I I'm a fan of this theory. Shows teach you how to watch them. It shows as you watch them, they teach you what their they show you what their priorities are, and those are the elements of the sh- of the shows that that as a viewer, if you keep watching, if you engage with the show, that you start valuing as well, or it turns you off and you stop watching, sort of like you with Lost, Ricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I felt like the show was. It seemed like the the shift the show shifted its perspective and its point of view and its its thought the the morality of the omniscient show create you know like Vince Gilligan or just really the whole production really shifted from just from Ozymandias and Granite State to this last episode so that's where I'm seeing a disconnect yeah I I think that's fair and I think for me personally you know I talked about the lack of chaos but I think also Gilligan clearly didn't like if he'd wanted to make this finale a like I mean, classically speaking, not as an episode of television, like a perfect tragedy. Uh, I think that it would have gone a very different way that maybe would have been more satisfying, like the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, which to me, in terms of what happens, I think functions perfectly in terms of dramatic irony and sort of the rules of tragedy. Uh, And he clearly didn't want to go that way. And again, that's totally his prerogative. Was it the most compelling option? Probably not. But again, like it feels churlish to complain too much because yeah. the show's just given us so much greatness and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, just be a you know, negative Nancy or whatever. Uh, first of all, I don't think, I think the shift was gradual, Kate. And I always looked at Breaking Bad as sort of the opposite of Goodfellas where Goodfellas, it starts off where they glamorize Henry Hill and his lifestyle and how he rises to be like sort of like this criminal, um, I wouldn't say mastermind, but at this well-respected criminal figure in like New York City. And then it ends with him being a schmuck, as he says in the very last voiceover. Actually, he doesn't even say it in a voiceover. He actually looks at the camera and he's like, I became an everyday schmuck. And in this case, uh, it's completely a reversal. It's it's like, as you said, uh, Kate, it's Mr. Chips the Scarface. And so he starts off as a science teacher and he becomes this uh, criminal mastermind. But the thing is, I kind of feel like Vince Gilligan wanted wanted it both ways. Like he wanted us to root for Walt, but at the same time, he wanted us to be disgusted by Walt's actions. And I kind of like that shadiness. Like I I I like the fact that I am conflicted at times watching a show and rooting for Walt and not rooting for Walt and hating Walt and wanting Walt to succeed. And I think that's what made the show interesting. And I think I, I think a lot of the good conversations that have arisen because of Breaking Bad are for those very specific reasons. And even going to a character like Skylar and how she reacts and or doesn't react or act towards Walt's incredibly horrific crimes is also a reason why people like talking about the TV show. Definitely. 
Now, before we finish, we should do, because seeing as this is our DVD shelf, we should look a little bit more at the season series as a whole. So, I guess, favorite moments, favorite episodes. We haven't talked about Giancarlo Esposito, Jonathan Banks, or Bob Odenkirk. We haven't talked about Jesse Plemons. There's a lot of performances here we haven't even mentioned. So, I guess, maybe uh, favorite non-lead character performance, favorite episodes and or moments, and rank the series series various seasons i think for me like best supporting character has to be a tie i think that when saul arrives mid-season two is when the show really gets moving and obviously there's a lot of good to great stuff before that but his arrival really demarcates when they get that balance of humor and tension just right and so i think you can't underestimate odenkirk's contribution i mean there's a reason he's getting the spinoff he's a fantastic character and odenkirk doesn't get enough props for, I mean, maybe he does, but I don't think he gets enough props for his comic and his dramatic work. Uh, second place has to go to Giancarlo Esposito. As much as I like Mike, um, I think that they went wrong with his character in a few places that they didn't really with Gus. And clearly, I think Gus is the most iconic villain they ever had. And just comparing him and the Nazis is no comparison at all. Him and Tuco? Or yeah, or him and Tuco, etc. He just he was a giant, and Esposito was incredible. Uh, well, my favorite scene, I think, of the whole entire series comes in episode twelve of season three, my favorite season of the series, and it's the half measures sequence when Mike the Cleaner delivers his speech to Walter about doing away with half measures. That to me is my favorite scene. Period. Um, supporting character, I think Mike the Cleaner is my favorite. Uh, I do like Saul. Uh, I think you're wrong, Simon, about people not giving him enough credit. I mean, he's getting his own spinoff show. Yeah, no, I just feel like if we're going to talk about all five and or six seasons, then we'll be here for another like six hours. So I'll just make it (laughs) short. Mike the Cleaner, my favorite scene of the entire series, Half Measures. That's it. For notable scenes, uh, there's there's so many. But one of the one of the ones that will stay in my brain for a very, very long time is uh, what is it? Rabbit dog. It's it's Aaron Paul's scene at at uh, rehab with Jerry Burns. And uh, it's just such a powerful moment. Of course, there are many other amazing performances, visual moments, Skylar walking into the pool. There's there's so many great moments, but that's one of the ones that always stays in my mind. So uh, so a little props to Jerry Burns in such a small role, but uh, but an important one over at least in that episode, in that part of the series. A little love to Jane because I I enjoyed Kristen Ritter and uh, I think season two has its issues. But but I really did enjoy what, you know, that the construction of that character and what that brought out in both Walt and and in um, in, in Jesse as well. And then, I mean, come on, Giancarlo Esposito. Absolutely. And Jonathan Banks and Odenkirk. It's really it's a, an embarrassment of riches in this supporting cast. And uh, yeah. and even I don't know if she counts as supporting cast, but I do. I think if I had to pick one. Oh gosh, I guess, I guess Owen Kirk and Esposito, but right under there is Betsy Brandt because 
again, we talked about it earlier. She doesn't get enough credit for her her comedic work throughout the early seasons of the show. And that's just as much a performance as her dramatic work later. So I was really glad when she got more of a chance to stretch her chops, stretch her legs in this last half season. But uh, even earlier, I always really enjoyed her her moments as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since we're here, we can rank seasons and... I know that some people are need a rewatch first, but I have a pretty solid ranking. I think I would go season three tops. Oh, by the way, five A, five B count as different. Seasons yeah, that, for this. that's what I'm doing. Definitely, I would go season three followed by five B, then two, then four, then five A, and then season one. And I feel I, I'd have to rewatch one again to, to decide whether or not I take it over five A. But that's I'm feeling pretty solid about that ranking. I think I would go in the exact same order as Simon, except I would switch two and four. So it would be three, five B, four, four two, two, five A, one. Uh, five A, one, yes. And you know what my two favorite episodes are? There are two episodes directed by Ryan Johnson. Ozzy and Ozzy Mendias. Sorry? Well, he did another one too. So yeah, he did, he did three episodes, but yes, uh, you're right, Simon. Yes, Fly. I love Fly. Fly, I know a lot of people hate Fly. To me, it was... Such a major change in pace for Breaking Bad, part slapstick comedy, part psychological drama. Uh, I love the hyper stylistic episodes, uh, the camera shots. I, I just liked it was I just liked the fact that it was a nice change uh, in style and pace and dialogue. I, I really, really loved that episode. I think it was really brave of Ryan Johnson to direct it like that. And apparently it was one of their most expensive episodes to to shoot, which is surprising because it's technically a bottle episode. Um, but yeah, that was, um, I think, I think that's my second favorite episode. Um, and, uh, for, for ranking the seasons, I, I do need a rewatch before I can fully commit, but at least to the lower end of that, because it's been too long since I saw, um, season one and two, but I agree with, uh, the three, five, a four. I, I, that's at least for right now, that's where I'm at with the top three. And then the others kind of, I, I, don't feel confident. So I'm sitting squarely on the fence here. Wow, you're about, you're, about that. You're green with me. Wow. I know. This is very, very strange. I think the se- Walking Dead podcast will be back soon, so I'm sure this won't last. No, but I think season three of Breaking Bad to me is my season two of Sopranos. Okay. Yeah. Well, and there's one other person I need to mention before we sign off here, and that's Michelle McLaren. Yes. Thank you to Breaking Bad for introducing me to Michelle McLaren the brilliant director of so many episodes. And there's a number of fantastic directors, writers, the entire crew. She's not only the director, she's the executive producer. Yeah. Sort of like how Buffy introduced me to being aware of who the writers were. Breaking Bad is the show that really made me aware of who the directors were. Buffy, I was like, it was like, oh, this is a Joss Whedon directed episode. I'm sure it'll be really good. But Breaking Bad is the one where I started to really parse out the individual nuances of these different direct- directors and the effect that they can have on a show. So thank you. And the writers. Thank you, Breaking Bad. And the writers. Yes, but I was already looking for the writing. I wasn't looking for the directing before oh. Breaking Bad, and now I do. Okay. All right. So any, f- any other final thoughts before we sign off here? I'm uh, I'm really, as we mentioned before, I'm really hoping that Better Call Saul ends up being a sequel and not a prequel. I think they would have so much fun dropping little Easter eggs and hints about stuff that happens in the Breaking Bad universe after Breaking Bad ends. Like not a lot, but just like little little bits of trivia here and there they can drop. And I think there's way more potential as a sequel with Saul in Nebraska sort of starting over 
Uh, so I'm hoping they end up going that route instead. I, of course, that also stems from my general dislike of prequels. But I think the show's just been a titanic achievement. I think everyone knows that. And yeah, I'm just I'm in awe of what they've accomplished, even even as I express my nitpicks here and there. Yeah, I can't wait to watch the 55 hours of bonus footage from the box set they're going to release, which is just mind-blowing. And it looks beautiful, by the way. 55 <laughs> hours, you know I'm buying it. Uh, you know what? Uh, from my from my point of view, uh, this is my favorite show of all time. Um, that's just my opinion of all the shows I've seen. It's by far my favorite. But you also got to remember one thing. I wasn't watching The Sopranos live season by season. I was doing catch-up, right? So even when watching The Sopranos finale, which I do agree is brilliant, it didn't have the same impact as watching Breaking Bad live with like 10 plus million viewers having a Breaking Bad party, constantly calling everyone, especially Simon, every week for six years, every Sunday night and complaining, bitching and raving about the episode of Breaking Bad. And so for, for me, when it came down to the final episode, even though it wasn't as good as the episode of Ryan Johnson directed previously, uh, it was just so incredibly satisfying yet heartbreaking that this show was ending. And so... For me personally, it's my favorite show of all time. And even if I do finish watching The Wire, which I intend to do, I don't think I will like The Wire more than Breaking Bad. It might be a better show, but I will never like it better than Breaking Bad because I didn't have that, you know, that feeling of watching that, that communal Wire. feeling. That communal feeling, right? And I also think it's amazing that Breaking Bad got ten plus million viewers, which is brilliant and awesome. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that. Uh, the seasons were shorter than most TV shows and people were able to catch up because everything was released on DVD. So I think that's awesome. But I also think it's crazy to think that it's nowhere near having the numbers has the finale of a show like Cheers or Friends or MASH or Seinfeld. Like according to Wikipedia, MASH had 125 million viewers on the finale. I don't know if that's correct. 125 million viewers. Cheers had 84 million. Holy shit. Times have changed. Those days are over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's most, for me, it's most impressive when you look at the ratings of the show overall. If you look in Wikipedia, the, on the episode page for, for Breaking Bad, they have the ratings each week. The first season doesn't even list them because they were too small to be listed. And so then in season two, like half of the half of the weeks have over a million viewers. So that means the first season had under a million viewers you know, every week. You know what? When I'm on Facebook, as you guys know, I post about Breaking Bad like a little too much that annoys some people. But uh, I remember when it, Simon's the one that actually got me into Breaking Bad back in season one. And I remember like nobody was watching the show. And as of late, like I would say, like right when season 5A started, I was getting the, why is everybody talking about the show all of a sudden? It's apparently like five or six years old. Why haven't I heard about it? Like something happened in the past year and it just, for some strange reason, blew up because everybody was been raving about it, like critics wise. And everyone that's watched the show since like season one over the past six years had, you know, been talking about it. But for some reason, it just completely, I don't know, blew up in the in like, I don't know. Netflix. Netflix, I guess. Like, yeah. At least it happened before the show was before the show went off the air. Right. Yeah. Although yeah. AMC must be kicking themselves that they didn't end up just giving him two full seasons to end seasons with now. Like they wanted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we should wrap it up here. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ricky, for coming back on the show. Where can our listeners find you online if they do not already know? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sound Insight, although I usually just pimp articles on 
the Found on the Sound Insight website, so www.soundinsight.org. Do not forget to check out our Walking Dead podcast. Kate and I will be hosting that starting mid-October. I'm excited. And, of course, you can listen to our movie podcast. We have Sorted Cinema, in which we cover genre film, and Sound Insight. Simon and I both host Sound Insight and the Sorted Cinema podcast. Good times. Well, again, thank you, Ricky, for coming back on, coming on this journey with us and fighting with me. It's so much fun. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 